Welcome to Let's Get to Work, a podcast with stories of hope and inspiration for people experiencing blindness and vision loss, as well as those wanting to support us. Brought to you by the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind, a place where we talk about all things employment, finding jobs, holding jobs, building careers, and challenging stigmas. Each month will consist of two visually impaired people who have chosen to travel down unique career paths. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get to work. My name is Peter Altschul, the program chair, and this month, we're thrilled to have Cheryl Cummings as our guest. Welcome, Cheryl. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So let's talk about um, your pre-college days. Talk a little about um, growing up before you went to college. Oh, pre-college days. So um, my family and I, I I was born in Guyana, South America. And I came to the United States. Actually, we moved to Chicago when I was about 10. Um, And then I became blind when I was about 13. Um, I contracted encephalitis and lost my vision. Um, And, you know, part of that illness meant I had to, like, relearn everything. I had to learn how to walk again. Gratefully, talking wasn't a problem once. I was able to do that. I I think I did that for like a week. My brother tells me I talked for about a week and nobody could get me to shut up. <laughs> I was insistent on talking. Um, and I went to um, um, Catholic schools and I went to uh, my high school was an all girls uh, Catholic school. Um, and I was the only blind person in the school. Um, but it was small, and I had an amazing um, TVI. Her name was Mrs. King, who helped me to um, learn Braille, made sure I had my materials, um, and sometimes like, gave me my tests, um, made sure that the teachers understood what it was like, you know, what it meant to have a, a blind child in their, their, their classroom. Um, and, and then the other part of that is that, um, I mean, I was, you know, I was adapting to being blind. Um, so I wasn't like the kid who was going all over the place. Um, my mom, for instance, um, wanted to pick me up after work. So I spent a lot of time at school. And I decided that, well, if I'm going to be stuck at school anyway, I should get involved in, like, the activities that are going on at school. So I got involved in lots of clubs. I was, um, like, I mean, I, I don't have any theater or acting capabilities, but I, you know, I I'd go hang out with the theater kids and um, I'd create a role for myself. I'm like, oh, you need somebody to... Uh, help advertise the play <laughs> and, and uh you know myself and some other people you know in high school where you've got those like morning announcement things mm-hmm. um we would write up ads to do that um i got involved in like our um like our, our we had a fine arts club and as a result of that um we went to plays my husband tim 
jokes and he says, is there a Shakespeare play you didn't see? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> saw a lot of that in high school. <laughs> um, so anyway, so it was, I mean, you know, it was like uh, certainly a little challenging because I had to adjust to blindness. But also I think um, I was in a really like a really safe space in high school where uh, I, I got the supports I needed and was able to do things. So, and then you got accepted to Princeton. What was that like? And how was the Princeton experience for you? Oh my gosh. I loved Princeton. Um, because, uh, again, it's still continuing the adjusting to blindness. Um, I knew that I didn't want to be in a, on a campus that was like a big city. Right. So Princeton is sort of off in this little neighborhood. I mean, it's, it's, it's a campus, but it's not a city. Um, so again, it gave me extra time to just get comfortable with like getting around, you know, learning to like do my laundry, all that sort of stuff. And then just meeting people from all across the United States, all across the world, um, and just being um, academically or challenged. I mean, I, I loved Princeton because you could have like, I mean, our, let's say I would have with people I met, I mean, we would have, you know, just outright arguments about ideas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Didn't mean you were enemies. It truly meant you were arguing about ideas. So when, so, what, what, when were you at Princeton? Um, 84 to 88. So that, that was pre-ADA. Um, how, how, uh, how did you deal with all the accommodations that you needed and all that? What accommodations? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a fair response. Yeah, how, did yeah. you, how did you negotiate all that stuff? So we had one assistant dean who was set, was told you deal with the kids with the, you know the students with disabilities. Um, there was you know this. There's Firestone, yep. the main library. There was one room that had a Kurzweil machine, which was, you know, the old, like the earlier version, which was the size of like a photocopier. Yeah, it's huge. A huge, and, a huge version. Yeah. Right. And one uh, computer, which really irritated everybody because, you know, we had, there were just, there were just computers all over campus, but there was only one that was accessible that had speech on it um so we i used readers um in most of my classes um i think most of the professors were supportive some were not mm -hmm. um i used and so i would go talk to the professors um and most a lot of the professors would at the beginning of a class say like hey you know cheryl is taking this class she's blind she needs readers and a lot of them would say I suggest you do this because you need to read the materials. So you might as well do it and, and earn some money and help and, and help somebody. Um, so like in my um, IR class, international relations class, um, I had a good like group of readers, um, you know? So, I mean, for the most part, it was good. And I actually did um, like a, a semester abroad. Um, yeah, you were in Aberdeen, right? Yes. And talk yeah. about that. How was that? So, well, that was, I, I mean, I was a little grouchy about it because I really wanted to go to Spain and, and 
Princeton sort of talked me out of it. And I suppose I talked myself out of it too, because, you know, they're like, oh, you're going to be in a big city and you're going to have to find your own place to live and blah, blah. And I should have stuck to that and gone to Spain because then I think I'd actually be speaking Spanish now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I went to Aberdeen because, again, it was a it was a campus situation and um, the Princeton and Aberdeen worked together to make sure I got the assistance I needed. So uh, in, in Scotland or Aberdeen, um, I don't know that it still exists, but I think there was some place called the Grampian Society for the Blind, and they got me my books, which were recorded, and it was just like maybe like eight-track-looking type of machine. Wow, okay. Um, there was an, uh, an American uh, woman who was, I don't know, but she was connected to the campus somehow and they hired her to sort of be a reader slash guide for me when I first got there. Um, So she would come by in the mornings and, and would help me like walk over to my classes. And then at some point we stopped doing that because I understood where (laughs) where I was going. There you go. Yeah. Um, and I mean, again, it was like a really neat experience because, you know, when you're studying overseas, like you're the foreigner, right? You're the one who yep. doesn't quite fit in. And what what I found was that I ended up hanging out a lot with other foreign students. So I met people from Germany and Switzerland and Malaysia um, and, and we would all like hang out together um, and do things. So, so you, you are working at the Department of Defense. Yes. Uh, what, were, what were you? I mean, uh, I mean, what were you doing there? Um, well, I was. I I don't think they it is it exists anymore. But do you remember the Strategic Defense Initiative, Star I do. Wars? Star Wars. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was like low person on the totem pole on a negotiating team, um, working. Uh, with like other countries to build like missile launchers and stuff like that. So when you say um, low, low person on the totem pole, were you, were you meaning, doing research? I, were you what, what were you doing? Well, I mean, okay. I, I they'd give me things like go read this mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and write a summary. Okay. Um, or yeah, that that type of stuff. That, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then um, and then you know come into the meeting, sit there. You could take some notes, but don't say anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that sounds like Washington to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, um, uh, so you did that for how long? I did that for about a year and a half. And then, presumably, you said, "I've had enough of this." Yeah, uh, I mean, well, it- I, I knew, I knew, like as soon as I, I mean, I, I got to say, the people I met were really nice and really generous, and you know, really like willing to help me fit in and to sort of carve out opportunities for me. Um, but I was just, I was just like, ah, oh, no, yeah. this isn't at all what I want to do. I, I don't want to learn about missiles and mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, cause I, I was supposedly doing like non-proliferation treaty type of stuff, but in my tiny little brain, I'm like, this doesn't look like non-proliferation. <laughs> it's, 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 non, it's non-proliferation, <laughs> proliferation, right? 
Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Okay. And I, and I said, I really wanted to work with people Mm -hmm. and I wanted to like be like more direct sort of working with people. And again, you know, I tried like other organizations to do this, but nobody would hire me, Yeah, you know, because it's like, oh my gosh, you're blind. I mean, and even the Peace Corps, they weren't like really excited to, to hire me. Um, I, I think the only reason I got in was that um, I started the application while I was in DC and one of the secretaries in the, in the department of defense um, would help me like every two weeks, I'd say to her, what do you think about lunch? And she'd go, (laughs) all right, do you mean you want to go and check on your Peace Corps thing? And I'd say, yes. And (laughs) we would take the train from the Pentagon to like downtown DC go to the Peace Corps office and I'd say, Hey, it's me again. Just checking in what's going on. What's the status of my application? Um, and I think I did that. I mean, it it felt like for a year, but maybe it was a few months. Um, and then they finally said, well, we've got something for you in the Dominican Republic. So according to my notes, you, um, did some special education work in the Dominican Republic. That's the sort of work you did. Yes. So talk about the work you did. Uh, I I mentioned special education, but more specifically, what did you do? So so the special education unit um, had like a big project that they were working on, which was to um, teach teachers how to administer the Snelling I-chart. Okay. The reason for doing that is because the idea is like, if we can teach teachers how to do this, then they can sort of at least catch kids who might be having problems seeing, and then they can tell the parents Mm -hmm. and the parents can then take the child to an eye doctor. Cause you know, going to the eye doctor was not, you know, like here it's, I don't know, for a lot of families, eye eye checkups used to be like what you do annually. Mm -hmm. Um, Not so in the Dominican Republic, cause it's just, it's expensive. Sure. and so I, I just, I like participated in that project and, you know, identifying schools, help making sure that we have the materials, going out to talk to the teachers. Um, and then the part that I also helped with was, okay, can we do this with the Peace Corps volunteers? Because the challenge that the special education department had is that they only had funding to launch the program in Santo Domingo. Um, and so my thought was, well, if we teach the Peace Corps, at least the education workers, you know, in Peace mm-hmm. Corps, because they're stationed all over the country, then they can then take that and teach the teachers that they're working with. So maybe we can extend sort of the, the reach of the program. So that's, that's primarily what I, what I did. And talk about the accommodations you received. Uh, and again, I use that very broadly. What, what, uh, what, what accommodations did you have at the uh, San Domingo to help you do your job? None. None. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't like we had a rich office. I mm-hmm. mean, we, we had desks, there was a telephone, um, the, the director of the, office i think she might have had a computer um this was the this was the 90 early 90s right yeah 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 
So, but, so, but, but like, did you did you have to drive from or go get from place to place? Was there a lot of travel? Yeah, involved? yeah. Um, so how, how you that out? the the reason how that happened is that my counterpart, so the person, so I should say, I initially worked at a foundation for the blind, mm-hmm. and my counterpart was himself blind. He and his wife. And so, actually, he's the one who taught me how to get around. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, that's where, like, today, I truly believe that as a blind person, you can live anywhere there are other blind people. Mm-hmm. Because they, once you find, like, a really good person, you know, a blind person who knows how to get around their, in their town, they'll teach you. Sure. Because, um, yeah, no, that's what Pedro did. I mean, because uh, <laughs> in the Dominican Republic, and I don't know if this has changed or not, um, you had to learn these hand signals um, to to get what's called a caro publico. So, you know, like a, a, a taxi type thing to stop for you. Um, and so he, he taught me um, the hand signals and um, he, you know, and that's that's how I learned to get around. And then other Peace Corps volunteers would show, would show me sort of what they 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 know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I mean, it was it was an amazing experience. I don't know that I could do it now. Um, there were some streets that I had to cross, and I am just thankful that I didn't get killed mm-hmm. because they were huge. Um, and, and I, I'm guessing there weren't as many traffic lights, and uh, the drivers were were a little little more chaotic than than here in the United States. No, not necessarily. Okay. Part of the challenge was that there wasn't always electricity. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, like, even when we were sitting, I was in the the special ed department. I mean, some days we were just we were just sitting because mm-hmm. no electricity. And the only thing that mm, I think worked was a phone. Wow! So presumably you got your your master's degree in, in international relations. Is that is that a fair assessment yes. to say? Okay. Yeah. And my next thing on my notes here is working for the commission Massachusetts Commission for the Blind, uh, leading their outreach to minority communities. That strikes me as sort of a, a, a quite quite a leap from foreign relations. How did that happen? I think the way lots of things happen, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I did my work in a Peace Corps. I came back, I got my master's degree, um, and then I started looking for work, and I just couldn't get it mm-hmm. again. Yeah. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't convince any organizations that did international work to to hire me, um, and so. You know, I had a decision, like, do I keep, like, knocking my head against doors to try to get in, or do I try to figure out something else? And I um, decided I was going to try to figure out something else. So how long were you, did you bang your head against the wall trying to get foreign relations-related jobs? Approximately. Um, Yeah, maybe six, seven months. Okay. Yeah, that's a long time. How did you sort of survive uh, psychically, mentally during that six or seven-month period? Um, I think I just, you know, it, it was tough, Mm -hmm. right? It was, it was, it was really tough, you know, thinking like I've, I've gone to the right schools, I've gotten the correct degrees, but I'm still not. You've been to Peace Corps, you've traveled abroad, you've done all the right things. Yeah. But I'm still not, I'm still not acceptable. Yeah. 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 Um, and, And I don't know if you've ever had this, but I 
<laughs> I've even had people say, Princeton, is there another Princeton? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, um, are you asking because I'm blind or black? Which <laughs> which one are you questioning the, my ability to have gone to that school? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's uh, I didn't get that particular lot. I got others. Um, so, yeah, so, but, but again, how did you sort of mentally, you know, you're, you're, you know, you, you're banging your head against the wall, which is never a pleasant experience. How did you sort of day to day sort of handle that kind of uh, rejection? I just kept like reaching out to possible contacts and making phone calls at the time, you know, it wasn't, I mean, computers were being used, but, and, but they weren't being used like the way they are now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you still, I think, had to rely a lot on like finding resources. And that, that takes a lot of energy, you know, going to the library and trying to get people to give you information about different organizations, you know, trying to use whatever machine. Oh, I had, I had like a scanner, like an open book or something like that and trying to um, scan, you know, lists of international organizations and trying to understand what they did so that if when you called you could sort of under you know do a sensible presentation sure, or a sensible sure. inquiry elevator so, pitch or whatever they yeah, call it. yeah so there yeah. was a lot of there was a lot of work yeah um and not too much time for oh my gosh this isn't working which is what what was happening it, it wasn't was happening working. it wasn't working yeah exactly so how did you get the uh, Massachusetts Commission for the Blind job Oh, so um, I I married uh, a Bostonian, and I was in Boston, and I basically was working with a vocational rehabilitation counselor, mm-hmm. uh, and she's like, "Oh, we have a position at the co- organization that I'm working at. Uh, I think you should apply." And I don't, I wouldn't say I was excited about that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I thought I need a job. Sure. So let me let me apply, and I did. And so, what what did that job entail? It was community outreach, mm-hmm. uh, and so it was really like identifying organizations. It started in the Boston area because that's where I was. Um, working with different community um, minority communities. Um, and going and talking to them about the commission and the services services we provide. Uh, and then over time, um, there were, you know, sort of professional or, or like nonprofit networking groups that I started to find. And uh, over time, you know, people sort of got accustomed to me, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is Cheryl and she does this. And so people would send information like, oh, we're doing, uh, you know, a, a community fair. Do you want to come? Or, um, you know, I, I was talking to such and such an organization. I really think you should go talk to them too. And then it looks like a sort of a shift. Uh, you, be, you worked for the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Uh, uh, policy work. Talk about that a little bit. How did that, how did that transition happen? Yeah. So there was, there was a shift because after a while I was like, Oh, I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I worked for a little while at a, an, another, a nonprofit called um, Boston partnership for older adults. And that was policy work around elders. Um, 
And then they unfortunately ran out of money and they needed to find another job. And the work at the University of Massachusetts seemed like it was going to give me a chance to build on the knowledge I'd gained and the experience I'd gained um, working at the Boston Partnership for Older Adults. And it did. And it, it really put me in this really exciting and sort of interesting space because it was one of the first places I'd worked where there was this commitment to um, accessibility. So whenever materials were produced that were going to be used by the public, they really worked really hard to make sure that there were all tags and there were like mm-hmm. descriptions of things like that. So that, I mean, that, that was interesting. So, so you, you did that work for a while. How did you end up in Seattle? Oh my gosh. So while I was still working at UMass, actually when I was still working at the commission, I decided that I wanted to, again, get like more directly connected with people. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking about what else I might be able to do. And um, started talking to some parents and teachers. And just from my work at the commission, I really thought I understood that there was this sort of place in service provision that was missing. So, you know, it's Massachusetts. So we've got Perkins and we've got the Carroll Center and some other places. Um, And I found that those services, well, there were a few issues. One is that those services were provided uh, like during the summer for kids who were going to public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, two, a lot of the families that I'd met, so these are families from minority populations, um, they weren't always like super comfortable sending their kids away, sure. if, even though it's Boston and away wasn't too far. But still, um, yeah. And, um, there was, and then, you know, in talking with sort of young adults who were blind, people were talking about this desire to have a place that was not just a summer experience, but it, it could be a year round experience um, where they could really like be fully themselves, right? Where blindness wasn't like the defining characteristic, right? It's like, hey, you're a kid, right? Come and hang out. Um, and, and so, um, I actually started a nonprofit um, and um, was fortunate with the places I, I was working at the time that I could have flexible hours so I could go to work um, and then at least two days a week sort of do shorter days. So my Monday, Wednesday, Fridays would be long. Mm-hmm. My Tuesday, Thursday would be shorter and then I would offer what ended up being an after-school um, program for kids who are blind. And, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge program. Um, you know, we had at, at our best year, maybe we had 12, 12 kids participating on a regular basis. Um, but I think, you know, we made a difference for those kids. I, I, those I'm families. sure it did. But how does this tie to Seattle? Oh, it's tight. It's tight to Seattle because one of the aspects of that organization was career exploration. Right. Um, and it, 
pertain to kids. And I did that even during like the COVID period. And I got to the point where I'm like, huh, I'm working with kids. I think I want to work with adults. Mm-hmm. And I want to, and, and then what I really want to do is work with people who are blind. Mm-hmm. And that's what the job in Seattle is. It's working with adults. Um, and it's career exploration, career readiness type of activities, programming. Um, so that's, that's how the two things are connected. And so you now work f- uh, full time for the Seattle Lighthouse doing wh- what you're, what you're doing. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, um, uh, um, I have two more questions for you. Uh, talk about the accommodations that the Seattle Lighthouse gave you to do the work that you're doing and how things are going with that job. Um, so the Seattle Lighthouse is, um, uh, amazing in the sense that, uh, it's a building, it's a huge building that's got production manufacturing going on. Um, but it's structured in such a way that as a totally blind person, I can get around the the building. Um, they have an accommodations like office and a manager. Um, and there's at least for me, I, there's been no question, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, what do you need? Do you use a braille display? Do you use speech? Um, you know, tell us what you need and we will get that You'll for get you. It. Yeah. To get to get your job done. And my last question for you: you've you've had a sort of a winding, a long and winding career path, or should I say, a long and winding career road? Um, can you? Uh, what advice would you give to? Uh, or let me say it differently: what advice would you give yourself when you were, say, uh, forty years ago, when you were like twenty-five? Oh my gosh, I would tell myself um, to slow down. And to spend the time needed to really understand who you are, um, in, in this instance. So who you are as it pertains to like, uh, like, what are you good at? Mm-hmm. What are your skills? Yeah. Because when you meet potential employers, you need to be able to art to say that clearly. Um, and that I think that helps you also to, identify like positions you want and positions you don't want. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think, you know, as a blind person, a lot, and I talked about banging my head against the doors. And a lot of times that's how I felt, right? That I was at this great disadvantage and I was just begging people to employ me. Um, And today, I think I'm like, hold on, I actually have some good skills here. <laughs> and and even at 25, um, you know, you've got some experience and you've got some knowledge that you can bring to the world. So I would have told myself to not approach the working world as a beggar, mm-hmm. right? Yep. To really approach it as, hey, I've got some skills. and And to be flexible in the sense that, you know, maybe, and, and I think the world allows you to do this more so than when I was 25, right? So maybe you don't get full-time employment um, working for a company or something, but there are lots of opportunities that if you can see a way to maybe be a consultant yourself mm-hmm. or to get part-time work, 
that there's no shame in any of that type of stuff. You do it and you, you sort of keep moving ahead. So thank you so much, Cheryl, for joining us on Let's Get to Work. Uh, we, we wish you well in all of your endeavors for the future. Uh, and um, this is Peter Alshul for Let's Get to Work. You've been listening to Let's Get to Work, a podcast from the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind. Have questions, episode ideas, or feedback? Feel free to email Brooke Jostet, the committee chair, at B-R-O-O-K-E underscore J-O-S-T-A-D at Comcast.net. Until next time, work it.